Welcome to the Motown Megacast. I am one of your three hosts, Alex Faber. With me, I have Paul and Ryan. How are we doing, boys? Doing all right. Excited to be back. It's good to be back. I feel like there's been, you know, summer typically is pretty slow around Detroit. We just have the, the Tigers, and when the Tigers are the way they are, uh, usually not too exciting, but we have an NHL draft right around the corner. Uh, one of the best GMs in Detroit just had one of the best drafts I can remember uh, a couple weeks back. Um, and in fact, this is going to be more of an episode that's it's going to focus more on the direction. Like just because we haven't been here in a while, I, I want to focus more on general, the direction of the team. Um, and, and I don't think there's a better place to start than what I just mentioned, that, that amazing GM with an amazing draft, and that's the Pistons. I think it might have the most hype in Detroit right now is the Detroit Pistons. Um, you were, Ryan, you want to tell us about that draft? Yeah, so so like you said, directional um, directional episode, and you know what better way to start with the Pistons? Uh, obviously, beginning in twenty twenty, the the big uh, or Troy Weaver's first draft, where he had the three first round picks, and then last year, Cade Cunningham built some excitement, and right now, with this most recent draft, excitement is at an all time high with uh, Weaver landing Jaden Ivy at number five overall. And then Jalen Duran, um, who he traded the rights for on draft night. Um, and, you know, these were probably Troy Weaver's top two guys. I mean, maybe maybe Keegan Murray was in there somewhere. Obviously, the, uh, the reports were that he really liked Keegan Murray. But um, as we saw, Keegan Murray went to the Kings, which, I mean, left us Jaden Ivey. And I think by all accounts, the, this was the best case scenario, you know. This is, I, I think this truly, and, and especially looking at it from Troy Weaver's perspective, um, I think this is, this was just, you know, a slam dunk, uh, grand slam, whatever you want to call it. This was about as good as it could get. And, um, and so, yeah, now we, uh, we are recording this um, one day ahead of their, or the Pistons' first summer league game, where we're going to see the, those guys in action, but... But yeah, and in these two, they ha- they got two uh, uber athletic uh, young prospects. Obviously, Jaden Ivey is like kind of like a lead guard combo guard uh, prototype. So um, I guess we'll just talk about him a little bit. Um, I I'm extremely excited for to watch him. I, he is he is the guy I'm most excited for this season. Um, I know Cade's the guy, but I was so hyped when when Ivey fell. Uh, and and with with GMs in general, just as as a as a rule in sports, I guess, is like to be a legendary GM, you have to have some luck, you know, and you have to be able to capitalize on that. And that, and it seems like Troy Weaver is, is excellent at that. Uh, whether it be creating his own luck with, you know, going up and snagging Duran and, and such, but you take advantage of those situations when they're presented to you. And that's exactly what Troy Weaver's doing. So just as, as a front office directionally, I could not be more ecstatic. Um, as a proven track record, I think he's the best GM in Detroit. Uh, I think Iserman will be more successful, but I think Weaver is is insane. He's I think the wheeling and dealing he's done at the draft, and again, he's had some luck. He's had Ivy fall. He got the number one pick. He got Cade. Um, but he's taken advantage of every situation he has. So just in terms of the front office, I'm excited too, both on the court and off. Great G- GMs don't screw up. Okay. Troy Weaver could have easily just not drafted Cade last year or done something weird or just got or drafted like Duran at number five instead of Ivy. But he did the smart things and he saw what Brad Holmes did on the Lions draft night and he won upped it with his own trade with the Knicks. Just an absolutely outstanding GM. One of the best GMs in Detroit within the like the last Thirty years, definitely like top five. He is doing something with the Pistons that we have not seen in several decades. He's going to have this team winning championships. Okay, I'm not. I'm not talking about uh, NBA championships. He might eventually get to that, but they will have divisional championships. They might have Eastern Conference championships in the near future three, five years down the road, you will start seeing some of that because of the amazing moves that Troy Weaver has done. Easily the best GM in Detroit. And Brad Holmes and Iserman have the opportunity to prove me wrong or do better. But right now, he's performing the best. 
Well, and, you, you know, you can have as much luck as possible, but, I mean, back to the court, that's what matters. You can take advantage of those situations, but if Ivy doesn't turn out, all is moot. So what, what kind of development are you looking for in the summer league, Ryan? Or, or what, what are you looking for for Iden to jump it right into that role as, I don't know, development? Take this as a development question, not only uh, in the offseason, but this year. What do, what do you want to see from Ivy? Um, I think what's going to be really interesting is seeing – how you know how he functions without Cade Cunningham because um I don't know if you guys saw this but uh Cade's uh trainers and cousin Ashton tweeted that um Cade probably won't play in summer league so um pretty good source (laughs) yeah I'd say so so you know it's it's gonna be interesting to see how he functions without the the main kind of like lead guard now that might be like what Killian the role Killian Hayes plays in summer league where he's the main guard and then Jaden Ivey will be playing off him. But, um, but you know, Killian's a, a much different player than Cade. And I think in those situations, Ivey will have his chance to be the, like the guy with the ball in his hands when it comes to scoring. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that, um, immediately. Obviously it's, it's going to, it's summer league competition. So Jaden Ivey is going to be able to blow past a bunch of people with his outstanding athleticism and, and he's going to be able to capitalize just because of, you know, how much more physically gifted he is than a lot of the guys that are going to be there. There's going to be some Chet Holmgren-like uh, highlights coming out with Ivy, I think. I think you're, I think you're spot on there, actually. Yeah, and, and you know, this is, this is the kind of environment where a player like Jaden Ivy just thrives. When it's, it's a little bit, the, the competition is, you know, it's a little bit more loose. Like, these teams haven't been together for that long, so it's, it's a little more... You know, I don't want to say pickup, but like, um, just a little less structured, and and you can kind of like, you know, rely on on the things like athleticism and and just straight up shot making. And I mean, Jaden Ivey showed that he's capable of all of that at Purdue, and I don't see why he wouldn't be able to to really have some moments. Um, I guess I'm not gonna I'm not gonna expect too much because I don't know. Last year, I mean, if you guys remember, the everybody thought the Pistons summer league team was gonna be insane, and then they ended up just what winning one game or something. Yeah. So I'm, I think just expectations for individual players and the overall team. I'm not going in just. I'm not gonna try to get too crazy about it because, for one thing, you know, like I said last year, um, Pistons underperformed. That might happen again this year, and. Um, and you never know when a player might just have an inefficient shooting night. So I think uh, I think you see a lot with summer league. Um, people will overreact and will will just really reach. And what I, I think summer league games like it's interesting to kind of like get a gauge on like where a player is at with with their shot and and kind of development I guess. abilities. Almost. Right, but you can't really take stat lines for anything in the summer league. So I think that's kind of going to be key to remembering when because i mean you know Jaden ivy might go out and he might drop 25 in the first game and he also might have seven points you know um but yeah i i think if we can if Jaden ivy can find some like consistency um somewhere sprinkled in i don't know i think that would be an interesting spot to be able to kind of build on especially with the players he'll be around and I think it's very important to note that these coaches are trying to work on very specific things sometimes with these players. So if you don't see them performing at the level that you'd like them to be or they're overperforming, uh, know that their competitor might be trying to do certain things or they're trying to do certain things. So uh, preseason success hardly ever translate to direct um success or in success in the regular season not just an nba or, or any of the sports i mean there is like if ivy goes out there and he scores two points and turnovers the ball eight times that is a very uh disturbing sign but uh if you don't see anything like that i wouldn't read too much into it so i think what i'm gathering here is is keep your emotions steady don't let the highs be too high and the lows too low um and i think that makes sense especially I, i'm assuming you're going to say two for duran just because Two highly athletic guys who um, who uh, who have high ceilings, and we need to see some development from essentially to really. But but I think that's important is tempering expectations and not, you know, giving them the Torkelson treatment where we kind of you know put pretty high lofty expectations on them as soon as they come in. Um, 
especially because they're different players too. They're, they're very athletic, like you mentioned. So Yeah, and that's the thing about Duran is I think he also is, I mean, this is the type of environment that he can really thrive in because, I mean, if you have a bouncy big guy like that, um, I mean, he can just kind of cash in down low on, you know, just rim defense and on the other side, just rim running and lob catching. So I think, like, if Jalen Duran, I, I want to be careful that if he has a few good games because I think he's really capable of just showing off his skill set, I don't want that to kind of, uh, I don't know, build into too much momentum, I guess, for his, for expectations for him his rookie year because, you know, he – he might go out and have a really good game, but and he also might still start the year in the G League. You know what I mean? So I think, especially with Duran, because uh, I mean, you look at Jalen Duran; he's younger. He's dude is still. 18. I didn't realize how young he was. Yeah. That was insane to me when I after he got drafted. You know, I I only knew from him from watching you know play or uh, the the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, so going and and seeing he was that young and seeing those athletic plays. I am him, him and Ivy. Uh, I love Ivy probably more. I'm a little more excited, but Duran, I'm almost as excited. Just watch him develop as a player, see him like kind of mature. Cause I, I cannot believe he is that young. That's incredible to me. Right. And, and you know, he's just so like physically mature and just doesn't look like an 18 year old. Like he looks like he's been around for a little bit in the league. Um, just physically, he's got that kind of body already. And um, you know, paired with the the athleticism that he boasts it's the i mean it's it's so clear why troy weaver was just infatuated with this guy and on top of all that he has a seven five wingspan um and and actually plays with a lot of uh discipline on defense um so they're just like as far just defensively just the the potential is just you know absolutely oozing and he could become you know the perennial all defense type with just based on what he has physically and and what he's shown um just i guess mentally on defense um but yeah this guy's 18 so the the expectations just cannot be too high right now um i think the biggest thing is you just want to go out enjoy him play some really athletic basketball get some blocks and highlight dunks and just Enjoy it for what it is, because it'll be very entertaining. So, we're talking about these two rookies now. Um, how are they going to slot in, I guess? Uh, let me ask a better question. How, like We talk about expectation for the rookies. What's the expectation for the team in terms of development? Um, for the show, we were talking a little bit about you know Isaiah Stewart. So guys like that who, younger, the Cades and the, the Sadiqs, what do you want to see from them this year? Um, this year, as in like the season yes forward. this this season and specifically development of those sure. three players i'll okay. make the question yeah. easier those the three the, it, players important to me i guess okay yeah um i think for them i mean each case is very different because each player is just at a different you know kind of just stage of development yeah fold in the roster construction and whatnot but um I guess starting with Killian Hayes, I think what you want to see is you want to see an ability to consistently hit shots inside and be able to draw contact. Obviously, you really want to see the jump shot um, come around as well, but, you know, I... Less stupid fouls as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and you know what? That's I think that's kind of part of just being such a... Just de- high motor. Yeah, defensive. high motor. Yeah. Just, um, but... But yeah, I think with Killian, you want to see. I it's kind of I'm under the impression that he's probably going to start um, this season, you know, running the bench unit, and I think that'll be good for him because I do think that he needs the ball in his hands when he's out there. But you also don't want to take touches away from Cade. I think he has the potential skill set to play off ball, but I just don't think uh, I don't think all of those skills have really been developed for him yet. So. Um, so yeah, I'm I, I'm really interested to see how he handles you know a bench unit and kind of has his own offensive unit to run and you know maybe there will be some times where he does get some spot starts or who knows maybe he impresses enough and and somehow uh, his shooting comes around um, he could easily see himself in the starting lineup because I mean he's just like we talked about he's a terrific on ball defender and you can never have enough defenders and ball handlers in your lineup so. If his shot comes around or if he finds himself uh, 
you know, just really improving on his inside game. I, I definitely think you could see him start. Um, as for Stu, for him, it's going to be really interesting because, I, I don't know, he's kind of in a weird, like, in-between spot where you kind of – you. We'll slot him in as a starter, obviously, because he started last year. But at the same time, um, obviously, Duran's not going to be starting yet. But you got him coming up the pipeline. Um, then you have Bagley. Uh, guys like Sadiq, he can play the four. Even, I mean, and he's not going to immediately push him for a uh, starting role. But, like, a guy like Isaiah Livers can also play the four and can threaten for minutes just because of his shooting like in defensibility. A small aside, he he's going to be an interesting rotational piece this year to watch, I guess, or um, a role player, I he, guess. I think he's going to, yeah, he's going to be really fun to watch in the summer league yeah. too. That's going to be a guy I'm going to have my eye on. But um, I, I just wish he didn't go to the school he did. That's that's <laughs> the only thing I can't get behind. I I, I, I do like him as a player. I, I like I think it's fun to have those fun role players, especially when you drafted him yourself. I love that instead of just signing him. But man, he he went to the block M. I can't get behind that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't have much to say about that. Yeah, just don't don't share that sentiment. <laughs> no, but I guess so. With Isaiah Stewart, I think uh, the main thing is shooting. You want the shooting to come around, and you want to see if he can stick around in the lineup as like a long term four. Because you know, obviously, your Jalen Duran is your de facto like long term uh, option at center. So hopefully, uh, Isaiah Stewart can um, can stick around in the starting lineup and and carve out a role for himself as the kind of like defensive minded four who can maybe knock down a few shots um similar to you know a guy like pj tucker i feel like i see every single um it might not just be pistons beat writers but writers in general say that like um that Stu has a, like a, a future role as like the guy off the bench the perfect sixth man who comes in there and energizes do you see that as a realistic possibility or is that more of like a, a we're settling if he doesn't uh, get to that four spot I don't know. I could certainly see that. I mean, I could see easily see a world where Killian Hayes and Isaiah Stewart are just, you know, coming off the bench and leading a high-quality second group. Um, and, you know, especially if Isaiah Stewart's, you know, three-point three shot comes around, like, that's kind of the perfect guy that you want off the bench. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll be really flexible with kind of, you know, where he'll be able to slot in. Um, and I think that'll be super valuable because it's clear how much Troy Weaver values, you know, lineup flexibility. Um, but yeah, I think, I think for Stewart, I definitely think the biggest thing is scoring and just put, putting the ball in the basket. How can he, um, hold up there? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not too worried about the defense. He's shown he's a very capable defender. Um, so yeah. And then for Sadiq Bey, I'll be really quick on him. I just... I think the biggest thing you want to see for him is, uh, you know, obviously he's got the the three point shot. That's it seems like it's always going to be in his arsenal. So how does the shot creation develop? You know, um, how we much already can, saw a lot of that last year, right? Yeah, obviously he was taking strides. You know, can he continue those or has he? You know, obviously not that I think this, but you know, has there's I'm sure there's a possibility that he's already kind of maxed out his, Hit his, his abilities yeah. because, you know, it, it wasn't something he did before. So we, I guess from college, you know, we haven't really seen any of it. We don't know where it could necessarily go, but, but yeah, I think just from the steps he took last year, I mean, I'm, I feel pretty confident about his ability to, to just add to his game and overall become a more versatile player. And I think he's just going to become a better defender with experience. So you know, with him, you kind of just want to see if the offensive game can grow. All right. Uh, and, and yeah, the, with the Pistons right now, it's we're getting to a point where it's going to be actually enjoyable to, like I said before the podcast as well, watch it on a dreary fre- February night. Uh, it was pretty tough to tune in when when we had guys like Cade out of the lineup and, and you know, Sadiq was the only guy kind of taking over the team. Um, it's going to be fun to tune in every night and see uh, it, Duran if, if he's not in the G League and Certainly someone like Ivy, um, guys like Livers even off the bench kind of stepping up. Uh, as much as I don't believe in him at all, Killian Hayes might be fun off the bench. Um, that's where he belongs, so thank God. Um, but but anyways, uh, I think that's all Pistons. Paul, do you have any thoughts on the future? I think we're finally going to get to a point where we can actually watch games late in the season, and they're going to matter because the Pistons – 
if they're not in the running, I, they don't have to make the play-in game, but at least have hope all the way down to the rest of the season. If you're in 13th, 14th, or 15th these next couple of years in the East, that's a coaching issue, and something's going to have to be done about that. Okay, in the, in the far future, but I, this year I'm not putting any expectations personally. I, I, I want to see purely development. I'm not going to put a set number of wins. I'm not going to put anything. It's, it's about how you get there this year. In the future, we can start having those conversations. But right now, I just want to see Ivy. I want to see uh, Duren. I want to see what Cade's step forward is before I talk about any expectations. Because we know what lofty expectations when it's based on youth can do. <laughs> I mean, with the Tigers. Um, that would be a perfect transition to the Tigers, but I, I, I just don't want to talk about them right now. I want to talk about another team that has hope. Um, with I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but as it stands, the second best GM in Detroit, uh, Steve Eisman, Um He's going to have his hands full. Um, I won't go too much into the draft because that will be happening uh, tomorrow as we're recording. It'll probably go up the day of the draft. Um, so I will just talk a little bit about the, about the guys I think are going to be there. Um we are not going to have a chance at uh, Shane Wright, Logan Cooley, and Slavkovsky. That's just that's just not going to happen. Uh, it's just not realistic. But there are a few guys that uh, fans and and analysts alike have kind of pointed out as guys that just seem like good fits. Um, the number one guy that comes to mind is uh, Marco Casper. He is naturally out of Sweden. Um, he's just that two-way defenseman or two-way center. Um, one draft comp I've heard a lot is Dylan Larkin. Um, he is speedy. He's a good skater. Um, he has a high hockey IQ. He is responsible in both zones. Uh, so there's there's a lot of reasons. He just seems like an Iserman guy. Um, there are a few defensemen that could fall. David Juracek, I, I don't think he gets that far. But, you know, there, there are certainly possibilities. Um, Connor Geeky uh, is a guy I would like to see. 5'9", uh, speedy guy. A little undersized, but has all the skill, has all the IQ in the world. So, again, I'm not going to go too much farther just because it's happening soon. Uh, we'll know eventually. And and like I learned last year, no matter how much research I do before or after the draft, it's Eisman will get the guy he wants, and it'll end up being the right guy. And I just There's no point in questioning it. I, I questioned Simon Edvinson this past year, and it, I don't want to say he's on a Moritz Sider track, but he, he's looking excellent right now. Um so the bigger news with Detroit is that they have finally moved on from Blash Hill and hired Derek Long. Um, I don't think I said that right, but guy out of Tampa also has experience um, with Iowa, the Iowa Wild in the AHL. Um, in the NHL, it's always harder to gauge what type of coach you're getting. Um, in, in leagues like the NFL, their success is quantifiable. If you have, if you hire a defensive coordinator, you can look. Okay, he was with the Broncos looked good, had a good defense. You know, you, you can track their record and see exactly what they do. It's a little bit harder um, in the NHL, but he came from Tampa, winning organization. Obviously, he's going to be familiar with Stevie over there. Um, in his in his interview, or like all the, the, the introductory press conference, I should say, um, he mentioned a lot about making personal connections with players. Um, and I don't want to say that was missing with Jeff Blashill, but I certainly think that that could be a strength, you know, letting guys like Philip Zadina who get into their own heads too much, um, letting them kind of do their own thing, being more comfortable. Uh, it's, in, it's impossible to see uh, or to tell what kind of scheme he's going to run to right now because um, whenever hockey guys are hired, they always just kind of give general platitudes like I, I want my guys to work hard I you know I want them to have uh, a work ethic you know th they say the same thing every time so it's it's really hard to tell what kind of scheme he's going to run but based on this it seems like he's going to be less that trots like adhere to a program adhere to you know my way of doing things and and let them be more free free thinking I guess and free form in offense and defense so that remains to be seen um but again with hockey coaches it, it's just impossible to tell so uh, I'm pretty excited about the direction of this team. It's it's a little slower, I think, than fans were expecting. Um, and Steve Eisman did warn us. He said this is going to take a while. Um, he he wants to build something special, not not somewhere that's perpetually spinning their wheels. Um, of course, you do run the risk of being Buffalo if you try and rebuild forever. So I I think this is the last season of okay, no expectations. You know, let let's see development. Let's watch players get in, but. We, we do need to see progress soon. And it'll be really disappointing if, if they regress. So 
expectations this year not super high like the like the uh pistons we're just we're just waiting to see what the players do yeah i was gonna say i I mean just based on your your description there that really seems kind of exactly where the pistons are where um you know you've already drafted the talent or a a decent amount of talent you know and you kind of have your foundation built so now it's like all right round out the edges you kind of have one more shot at just fully solidifying like the young core yeah Yeah, like high level talent and then everything else is is plugging the holes you know um but yeah i just thought it was interesting how 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 similar the two situations are yeah it it really is and and again um i I don't like putting implicit trust in in gms especially detroit i will always get just flashbacks to people with bob quinn uh, profile pictures when he that picture he was holding the bat if you remember that um a lot of uh bunch of numbers usernames have in the in the profile picture saying trust in the quinn plan so implicit trust is usually not my thing but man with with weaver and eiserman it, it's kind of hard not to so with with those two franchises i'm really similar in my thinking um just kind of let them do their thing this year um we can visit the expectations or we, we can revisit that conversation of expectations in a year or two like let's see what the players do this year um, I don't like putting watermarks for teams right now and saying they need to get here. Um, just because we don't we don't know what the full season holds. I mean, if the Pistons, if, if Cade gets injured early this year, it sits out, you know, worst case scenario. But, of course, that's going to alter the amount of wins. Um, with the Red Wings, if Larkin gets hurt again, of course, that's going to alter expectations. So, let's just wait it out and see. Um, but, I guess let's switch to the, to the team I, I've been dreading about talking. The team we haven't talked about much this summer. It's... We were pretty excited going into it, but uh, the Tigers. Um, I don't know where to start. Why, why don't you go ahead, Paul? Well, halfway through the season, exactly. The Tigers stand at 34 and 47, which is a lot better than 30 and 47, which they were a few days ago. But they just swept the Cleveland Guardians in a four game series for the first time since 2013. That's the only good news. Uh, there's a bunch of bad news. The Tigers can't hit. This is pretty obvious. They only have one person hitting above 300 that has enough at-bats to qualify, other than Austin Meadows and Victor Reyes, who have played minimum games. Riley Green was around that area as well. Once again, all three had injuries. They do not qualify for the uh, 300 batting average. Uh, Yeah, Only Miggy, the 39-year-old who's batting around 310, is the only person over 300. The power, terrible. Not there. Tigers can't hit home runs. Non-existent. Uh, they don't have a single person hitting 10 or more home runs yet. Javi Baez has a few. Johnson, Jonathan Scope has a few. Haas is hitting for a little bit of power. Cody Clemens now has three home runs. He's hitting for a lot of extra base hits. He might be somebody that you just have deep in your lineup just to get some power in there. Like his average isn't pretty, but... He's there. Scope has a lot of home runs, too. But just overall, just a terrible hitting team. They're starting pitching. The rotation's all over the place. Casey Mize is going under Tommy John. Matt Manning's been injured. Tariq Skubal has been playing the best. All of a sudden, his last like, three or four starts have just been meh. He's just been giving up a lot of runs. Uh, Rodriguez is nowhere to be heard from. And then they're stuck with a bunch of pitchers that would, if all of their starting pitchers were healthy, wouldn't even be on the team or in the bullpen. And some of them are performing decently, like Alex Fiedo, Bo Brisky. They're not performing terribly. Uh, They could potentially be on actual uh, postseason rosters. Not maybe as a starter, but there might be a spot for them somewhere, but unlikely. Uh, this is starting to remind me of last year's team. They get off to a terrible start. All of a sudden, second half of the season, they look a lot better. Ended up getting 77 wins last year. And that's not too far-fetched. If they go 43-38 and 38 the rest of the way, that's 77 wins this season. Uh, that is five games above 500, and I don't really see that for this team. But that's not ridiculous. If they could, I mean, they just swept the Guardians in four games. But it's also it's below expectations. Oh, we had Torkelson coming in this year. We had, I mean, he has been performing not not as great. We, he still has a lot of time, but the uh, below 200 batting average is not what you want to see. Riley Green's been 
fucking fantastic the first few weeks, but this is just absolutely disappointing. Uh, and I, it's 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 Avila's fault and it's Illich's fault. It's not AJ Hinch's fault. Like, he's not dealt a good hand. The fact the fact that Hinch has been able to do what he has with like these second string essentially starting pitchers. And this amazing bullpen. The bullpen is actually what I've heard from ESPN as superb. There are like three pitchers on the trading block right now for the Tigers. The trade deadline is a little later this season. It's August 2nd as opposed to July 31st due to the late start. That's that's one thing we have to look at. Are the Tigers going back into a selling mood? Are they rebuilding again? It's not time to rebuild. That's what I can say. Enough is enough. Let Tommy John get out of its get out of the way. Let these pitchers come back. Let these bullpen players come back. Let Green and Torkelson do what they need to do and start and buy a couple of players and actually try to start to compete. You cannot go back into a rebuild. It's been happening for too long. And Avila most certainly should not be in charge of anything anymore. He's been there for too long. The team is disgustingly bad for how long Avila's been able to been going at this. It's gonna it would be pretty darn brutal if uh if he was giving if if Alavila I mean if when Alavila is in charge of the, the Tigers come August second, if he starts selling players, that's gonna be tough for a lot of people to stomach, even if it is the right move, even if it is for good players. That's going to be tough for a lot of fans to stomach when when this entire offseason. I here's another unfortunate thing about the team. I feel like the most the news that's gotten the most traction and the thing that's gotten the most people talking, uh, other than opening day, has been Chris Illich comments. Uh, whether it be his disastrous support of the uh, the uh, uh, MLB the association during um, the uh, contract negotiations uh, heading into the season, um, whether it be his comments that. Uh, at the Red Wings press conference actually wasn't even a, a Tigers thing where he said, I'm really pleased with the progress some of our players are showing and is looking forward to the, it, just a bunch of really silly things. Um, I feel like that's been more of the news of, of the season. And that really sums up the situation. Well, like you said, Paul, it's, it is Alavila's fault. You can't shy away from it. You can't pretend that's not the case. It's, you know, it's his fault. And it's taken so long. And this is what we have right now. We're questioning whether or not we should sell at the at the deadline this far into a rebuild that that's just insane to me that's hard to stomach um again even if the right i'm usually a guy who's damn damn feelings like let's you know let's trade people if the right deal comes along but man it's going to be hard for the fans to be like oh yeah we just sent out alex lang or you know uh, uh, our closer for scraps and i don't even think it's really much of a question i think it's considered by most uh people within the industry that the tigers are going to be sellers and quite frankly i don't think they should be i think they're just a couple pieces away and a couple of healthy things away and a good gm because they elevila cannot do this it's too much but they're just a couple pieces away and a couple things falling the right way of actually being competitive that's what's annoying they're just a couple of bats. Look at what AJ Hinch has been able to do, getting these right guys from the minor leagues. Most of the injuries this season has been from pitching, starting pitching. The pitching hasn't been disgusting starting wise. It hasn't been great. I mean, we're talking about second string pitchers, but for second string pitchers, they've been performing really well, especially second string pitchers on a bad team. The injuries are not so much on offense. Austin Meadows, okay, one of the better hitters. That's disappointing. Victor Reyes, one of the better hitters, but I actually don't really see his average being sustainable, to be honest. But we'll see what happens. But other than that, a lot of the injuries are not happening on the offense. They're happening in pitching, and they're, the pitching is not getting bad. Uh, there's a lot of injuries in the bullpen. The bullpen is fantastic. So the injuries does not affect the team. And it shows that Alavila has not given A.J. Hinch the right players. Not that A.J. Hinch is not doing a good job with the hand that he's dealt. It's disappointing. It, it was also kind of interesting that it came out that uh, 
there, there was all this talk on social media about um, AJ Hinch having an opt-out this year. It turns out that was fake. That just wasn't true. Like that, I thought that was super interesting. So, um, in a dark, gloomy storm, th- there's some light, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty hopeless situation. There's not a lot of hope, and and I disagree. I don't think they're a few pieces away. I think they're quite a lot of few pieces away. I like competitive in the central is not something I care to be. I I, I <laughs> a lot of teams could be competitive in the central. I want the Tigers to be a good team, and I just don't think that's happening anytime soon. I I, I was kind of talking about like postseason competitiveness i wasn't talking about beating the yankees or anything like that that's they're quite far away from that but that's that's another milestone yeah i figured that's what you meant i just wanted to clarify that like a few pieces away from from being an okay team six or seven years into a rebuild it's just it's horrible ryan do you have any thoughts about it? oh i want to say real quickly i want to ask this was paredes um shitting on the tigers the lowest point of the season that clip that came out was that the low point it sure felt like it it that felt was, like it didn't I mean, it? it's it's just it's so typical and of course you know it was just tampa bay just some continually just pulling off ridiculous trades because i mean think about how we were feeling when the trade was made we were like we just got austin meadows for a prospect who doesn't play and and you know now we're here and it sucks, and I guess, I don't know. There's really not a positive way to look at it. I mean, Austin Meadows was still has been a good player when he's been on the field, and, and we'll see where that goes. I, I think people forget that Austin Meadows is still a young player who has a lot of potential, but but yeah, it, it stings right now. I am actually still in support of the trade. I think it was a good move. Um, I don't believe that what Isaac Paredes has done literally not the entire season it's just been the last month and it's not going to continue he's not going to continue to hit for the power that he is he's going to be hitting like a 215 average by the end of the season probably with less than 20 home runs or around 20 home runs um and let's be honest if he was in the tigers organization they weren't going to have him hitting for power because they're just that that's something that's frustrating about the tigers is that they don't capitalize on something like a Paredes power but he his thing is not going to be sustainable. Meadows, when he's playing, I think in the long run, this trade's going to benefit the Tigers because they're not competing with Paredes this year anyways. Uh, and th- this is a very short-term thing, what Paredes is doing. This has just come on suddenly, and it's going to stop soon. Yeah, I I, I kind of disagree with you. I mean, I, I'm sure it'll drop off, but, man, it I don't know. I, he's a young player, and he's already coming in there. And, and you know, I understand it's the Kiel Badoop effect. Effect like they can figure him out, but it is Tampa Bay. They kind of just develop players like that. They kind he probably just will be an all star. Like that probably just will be a thing that happens, and we'll have to suffer with it. Um, I think there is some. I don't think it's a good argument. Uh, you couldn't back it up with facts or anything of the manner, but I think you're probably right that if he was in Detroit, it'd be a different story. <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, we can't really, we can't suss that out. We can't prove that, but I, I think you're probably right. It, it just hurts to extra. It hurts extra when we're this low already. And Paredes, a guy we were all excited about a couple years ago, just comes in and kicks us in the nuts. Like, well, we're done. We're already suffering. One of our players is gone, like, because of marriage or something. <laughs> just <laughs> off in La La Land. Like, <laughs> just some crazy things going on. Like... <laughs> Some aberrational, like some horrible thing that just don't normally happen. So, yeah, that's kind of the thought process on the Tigers, I guess. Doom, gloom, nothing good. Um, poor AJ Hinch. Um, Al Avila is the worst. Chris Illich is terrible. He's spitting on his father's grave right now. Um, was an excellent owner, even if he couldn't get the Tigers that chip. But anyways, I, I'm not mad about him. I'm mad about it. Um, let's move on to the Lions. Um, talk is really cooled down about the Lions, I think, on social media, and I guess this might be biased just because I haven't been following it quite as much, but um, post-draft, um, post-minicamp, correct? A um, couple of positional battles going on. Not not quite as many as last year, I will say, it seems like. It seems like positions are a little more settled down, which is a good thing, um, except for the linebacker position. I'm a little disgusted by uh, don't really want Alex Anzalone starting, but uh, what I want to talk about is the Lions' schedule this year because that's what we're all obsessed with. That's the best thing about football is it's the one sport where you can go game by game and try and predict it. Like, 
you can't do that with any of the other sports. I can look at each game and just foolishly trick myself into thinking that I can somehow figure it out. Um, so I think we all, I'm not going to go game by game necessarily, uh, but just based on the schedule, why don't you guys each give me your thoughts at roughly where are we going to sit? Um, yeah, I just recently made my, I, I went through game by game kind of just, I don't know, out of boredom. And I, I think I ended eight and nine. So, and, and that felt a little bit optimistic in my, like when I went back, I was like, kind of didn't realize I piled up that many wins, but I don't know. I, I, I think that's realistic enough. So I, I think I'll stick with eight and nine, my, uh, my game by game prediction. Yeah. The Lions easily have the easiest schedule in the entire nfl if they get anything under eight wins it is a disaster of a season assuming assuming they're not put up with a bunch of injuries the lions i have them getting 11 wins this season i think it's more likely that they get 12 wins than they get seven okay i have them making the playoffs and let let me get something clear the lions are not a top 14 team okay if the best teams made the playoffs, then the Lions most certainly would not make it there. I did my rankings, and I have the Lions as like the 22nd best team in the NFL. But you play the Vikings twice, okay, that's a decent team. You play the Bears twice, they're terrible. You play the entire NFL East, or NFC East, yeah, Giants, terrible. Washington, terrible. You play Seattle, terrible. Carolina, terrible. You're playing a bunch of terrible teams. How about the AFC? Jacksonville is your bonus game terrible jets terrible the dolphins or new england you get one of those one of those teams are just going to be meh you can easily win one of those and then green bay at home they're paying aaron Rodgers 50 million dollars a year they could win that i think 11 12 wins is reasonable and let me be clear this is going to be a one-off they will not make the postseason next year after doing this their draft capital is going to go down and they We'll have a harder schedule next year because of success this year, and they will do worse. But I think playoffs are in the Lions' future. I like. I don't usually like to call you on the pod, Paul, but that was there were some uneducated takes in there. Like you rattled off some impressive knowledge of of the schedule, but beyond that, it got like. I just think that was some horrendous takes. I we've talked a lot about or a lot off the the podcast about like doing a, a podcast or a live stream where we, we get really intoxicated and talking. And, and I have a feeling you've done that because that was a ridiculous little rant there. That was incredible. I, I think you're wasted right now because eight wins being the, the floor for the, a team led by Jared Goff, not in LA is no, 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 you don't get to talk. That was ridiculous. That's a horrible take, a horrible, horrible take. Setting benchmarks is already a terrible idea for a team that is not poised to make the postseason. And the fact that you're setting that by a team with Alex Anzalone as the number one linebacker and Jared Goff starting with your cornerbacks, like people are talking about like uh, Okuda coming back and being this legendary guy. Like, we're just making up things as Lions fans to pretend like it's going to be a good season. Let's calm with this. I've seen way too much Kool-Aid. I think Ryan's is way more reasonable. I have them at between six and seven wins. And I even think I'm not being optimistic. I think that's pretty realistic. But anything above eight is a downright miracle to me. You would have to have Jared Goff looking like Super Bowl Jared Goff. You would have to have J-Mo coming in and being a top 10 wide receiver in the league nearly like having a legendary rookie season you would have to have the rest of the receiving core being completely excellent deandre swift would finally have to not get injured and actually be competent in the backfield the offensive line would have to be as advertised and stay healthy which i think is the most realistic in hutchinson would have to get 10 sacks and be ridiculous there's so much you have to ask to get to 12 wins this is not college football you're thinking about it in a college football lens where it's schedule based I agree in college football. If this was college football, the Lions would snack up 12 wins. Sometimes it's the NFL. It's a pro league. You just lose games you shouldn't. Sometimes you just lose games against teams you shouldn't. Like the Jets. Ryan and I have talked about this before. That just seems like a, a, a game that the Lions would lose. I think you're deluding yourself that we are just as bad as some of these teams. We are still a bad team. Just because we have Amon Ra and a good offensive line doesn't mean the defensive line is suddenly going to click. The backfield is going to be magical. Uh, this team is not a good team. It's an average team. It's trending up. I'm excited about its future. But, man, you are – I want what you are smoking if you truly believe that eight is the bottom. It's just incredible. Yeah, I, I think my thing when you were going over, you know, rattling off all these teams, Paul, in my head for just about everyone I was kind of thinking like, 
why are we to believe that right now the Lions are just you know in that much better of a situation than this team that you're talking about? Like, for example, when like when you said Washington, I was like, um, why you know like why why is it in your mind that the Lions are in such a better scenario? You know, like they have obviously young talent and they have draft capital. They also have large. They are also largely returning a team that won three games. And the Bears just beat us sometimes. Yeah. And the Giants. The the I think the Lions are just going to go lose at Soldier Field. I just think that's going to happen this year. Hundred percent. Oh, Paul, what you're going to do is a Ben Shapiro arguing tactic right now, and you're going to focus on the <laughs> wrong thing I said. You're going to say the Bears are terrible. The Bears are terrible. That's not the point of our argument. The point is that every single team on this list <laughs> could beat the Lions potentially. They could. That's what I'm saying. Don't focus on the wrong point when I hand you this mic. I would also counter argument and say that the Lions have like 15 games on their set schedule that they could win. A, B, like the Bears and Giants will literally combine for like two wins a season. They're that bad. Jacksonville, another team, they're disgustingly bad. There are some teams on the Lions oh. schedule that are embarrassingly bad. Okay, Jacksonville, for one thing, just you know, spent money out the wazoo to like add yeah. just a bunch of depth and a bunch of guys. And and you, I mean, you can say what you want about their tactics, but they added a lot. They got a lot better. They're going to they be super mediocre this year. They're which gonna, is what Detroit's going to be. They're not going to be like a, a bottom of the barrel team. And I, I just, I don't know where this, I don't know. I don't know where these, where these are coming from, Paul. <laughs> Detroit's offense is going to be a top 10 offense this year. Okay. They have TJ Hawkinson, who is a top 10 tight end in the league. They have Amon Ra. They have DJ Chark. They have Jamison Williamson, who I know isn't going to be until October, but if you look at the Lions' schedule, their schedule is very, very easy at the end of the season. So Jamison Williamson being there, that's going to be easy to rack up a lot of wins. DeAndre Swift's getting a lot of better. They have Williams as their running back, too, and Goff does well when he has a solid offense. We've seen that in L.A. We're going to see that in Detroit. The Lions are going to exceed everyone's expectations. But we saw that one we, – again, it was an aberration, Paul. Like, Jared Goff being good is contrary to the norm. That is a specialty. He is a terrible quarterback. And if any Lions fans delude themselves into thinking he is competent this year, I will throw a fit. If they throw any money at this man, I will jump off a bridge and I will just – I will be – I will come be a fan of some other team. I will go be a, a fan of one of these teams you claim is terrible and so much worse than the Lions. On paper, this offense looks good. But it's the NFL. Every other team that you just mentioned also improved in the offseason, except for maybe the Giants. But but I'm like a bunch of teams got better, and you're looking at it at the wrong way. And and I think you're just setting up expectations too high. Like DJ Chark is really exciting. Jamo is going to be really exciting when he gets in. Amon Ra is, is super fun to watch. But man, I don't think Jared Goff throwing the ball, an injured running back, and overrated TJ. I know people don't in Detroit want to hear it. TJ Hawkinson is overrated. He's overrated. He just falls over when he catches. He's not an elite game-breaking tight end. He's just a good one. He's above average. I think he is probably top 10, but he's not game-breaking. Uh, so I I don't know. This offense on paper should be good. I agree, but your defense is going to be god-awful still, I truly believe. And, and <sighs> dealing on a lot of rookies and a lot of guys who get injured and a lot of guys who have bad history, every guy you just mentioned has either injury history or history of being dog shit. So it's just <laughs> <laughs> like... Jared Goff has had terrible seasons. DeAndre Swift always get injured. TJ Hawkinson gets injured. Uh, DJ Chark, I guess he's had a good track record, but not an amazing track record. We don't know when Jamal's coming back. Amon Ra had one good rookie season. What if he's sophomore slumps? There's too many questions here. For that reason, I'm out, Paul. It's just a bad <laughs> It's a bad take. And on top of all that, you have to remember, they have a first-year offensive coordinator. And obviously, he was part of uh, what made the offense better at the end of the year last year. But that was as a passing game coordinator, you know. He's he's going to be the one. I, mean, I guess we don't know if he's calling plays yet, but um, but you know you can't like hypothetically you have the pieces, and even if all those all of these players are you know come in at, at the skill level you're assuming, I don't know if it's not put together, then I mean what does it matter? You know what I mean, like. I don't know. There's just nothing definitive about any of the points you made. Like, th th there's no, there's no concrete, uh, you know, reasoning for it at, at this moment. And I just, 
I just think you're jumping the gun here on on all of these expectations. I think what really really bothers me is is the fact that you said like eight is the. I think that's what really triggered me because it's obvious I got a little frustrated there when you said eight is the bottom. That just really pissed me off because that's like a, that's a that's the worst type of fan right there is setting unreasonably crazy high expectations based on some feeling you have in your heart. You're basing based it on one thing, which is the schedule. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think this Jameson Williams trade in the draft broke your brain. I think it made you too happy. And now your mind is shattered <laughs> and you're, you drank way too much Kool-Aid after that. The Lions did exactly what you want. And in return, you, you drank all the Kool-Aid. It's, it's worrying me, Paul. Um, I, again, I, I'm going to drug test you after this episode. We're going to have to put in some stipulations, you know, make sure Paul's not on something before he gets on. But it's a bad take. We'll see what happens. Yes, we will. You want to bet 50 bucks right now? What, what, what do you want to set the win total at? Where Vegas sets it at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go off and go off and claim you're right, but you won't put any money in your true confidence. So, all right, we got a little tangent there. That, that was a bit much. Uh, <laughs> I got really fired up when Paul's just, just Sorry, spewing some garbage. What else are we going to talk about with the Lions if not just – have a, a heated debate you know what is the most mid-season or mid-off-season thing than just arguing passionately about the schedule <laughs> like things we just don't know we don't know any of this the, yeah, the jaguars could be okay what if I, the jets take a step just i think I, I think we we uh we need hard knocks oh we need that portion of the off of the off-season to get here because <laughs> otherwise this happens <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> there's no good way to wrap this up, so I'm just going to say we're going to try and put out podcasts more regularly. Uh, it's been a kind of slow – I mean, it's been an off season, I guess. Nothing too interesting, and, and we'll try and keep things updated as they are. We'll have uh, hopefully Red Wings draft to talk about next week, and hopefully those hard knocks eventually. I, that, that's, that's all I'm waiting for. Maybe Paul will deliver a take that, you know, the Tigers are going to win the World Series in 2025 or just <laughs> – Something disgusting and obscene. Uh, thanks for listening. Check us out on uh, at M Megacast on Twitter. Uh, that's where you're going to get most of the information.